Big day. Big day. Listen, fantasy lovers, unite. Fatamates, we are here for you. <laughs> we are here for you. We've, we haven't been here for you very much, but we are here for you today. <laughs> I feel like when we do appear for you in this way, we bring you only the best. Exactly. We Zoraida. Zoraida. Right? And now today, we're going to be joined by author Sarah J. Moss. I mean, no big deal. Well, here, I'm, I've said this in the podcast, but Little Romance, you know, thinks this whole entire life I live is completely horrifying. I actually asked him one day, I was like, do any of your friends know about the podcast? And he was like, no. Mom, I, w- Mom, I would never. <laughs> He's like, uh, I will die. But he, I told him that we were interviewing Sarah J. Moss and he was like, oh, like impressed with me. Oh, so suddenly there you, go. you just like leveled up. Yes. Sarah J. Moss. Listen. Amazing. You know, there comes a point in every child's life where they start to come around to, maybe my mom isn't so awful. See, I think we're getting there. You're just, that helped. So you're welcome. (laughs) Sarah's new, not our Sarah, Sarah J. Moss's newest book in the Crescent City series is called House of Sky and Breath, and it came out yesterday. So we are here to talk with Sarah today about... Um, writing the second book. I've been in my brain calling this the Empire Strikes Back <laughs> episode. <laughs> episode, right? Because second books are really interesting. And I also quiz our Sarah about some of the things about second books. So um, Sarah J. Moss is a great, she's a super interesting person. It's fascinating to hear her talk about her books. P.S. So darling. Yeah, we had a great conversation. So welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. I'm Sarah McLean, a romance reader and author. And we are so thrilled to bring to you, straight from sunny California, the brilliant Sarah J. Moss. <laughs> well, we are really thrilled to have you, Sarah. Um, and we, I, I, I know from personal experience, from having received emails from you, that you are a romance fan. And of course, <laughs> yes. like literally anybody who's ever read a Sarah J. Moss novel, like knows this, knows that you are a romance <laughs> fan. But I know for sure I have it documented. So maybe we could start there with where, how did you come? to know romance, to read it? Did you come through YA? Did you read it when you were a kid? What's your sort of journey to romance? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. (laughs) I am so excited as a fangirl to be, like, speaking to you, Sarah. Like, I'm I am in, like, a, like, like, disgusting, like, pit sweats right now because I'm just, like, so excited to be here talking to you. Um, But, yes, I am a huge romance fan. um, And it actually started later in my life i mean like i'm still relatively young yeah. ki- kind of like someone on tiktok called me a classic romance author today and i was oh, like i her. just need to measure out my grade now <laughs> <laughs> no i don't like it tiktok yeah. <laughs> anyway yes i can you are also relatively young so. yes i'm i'm like relatively young uh, and but I, so i didn't discover romance until God, I want to say I was in like my late, mid late twenties, um, and I just I think until that point I had just read like fantasy, sci fi, like that stuff. And but it was funny because the stuff I always gravitated towards in the series I loved the most 
like as a kid and like, you know, a, a teenager were anything with romance in them. Like if the story didn't have romance and like kissing or like, you know, by the time I got like a little older, like lots of sex, like I was not <laughs> into them. <laughs> like I needed that. And I didn't yeah. realize it that like I was like romance was the thing I was mostly drawn towards. So I forget how I kind of like fell into the romance world. Um, probably someone recommended a book to me and I just, I can't even remember. I have the worst memory of all time, by the way, just fair, fair warning right now. Um, but as soon as I, you know, discovered it, um, I, I think it might've started with like J.R. Ward or Nalini Singh's like series. And like, I was just like, Oh my, Oh my God. Like, this is exactly, (laughs) this is the best stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, someone eventually recommended like historical romance to me, which like, then that was like a whole binge thing. But like, I think I had this misconception from an early age, thanks to like the man and like male society that romance was like, you know, not like good. Like I just like, didn't even, I'd never even gone into the romance section. Um, and then suddenly I was, you know, going into the bookstore and just running to the romance section yeah. and like, what, what sounds like, you know, the, coolest but also the smuttiest and like I just devoured it from there and then I just was so moved to discover that there was this whole genre like you know written mostly like by women like for women and like with empowering stories about like you know women like seizing their own destinies and sexuality and like that's like all the stuff I love to write about too like just in like a different fantasy section (laughs) different fantasy genre but like I just I don't know. Like once the floodgates opened, it was like, there was no stopping it. And like, now I'm like, I won't read anything without romance. <laughs> like, I did, like, And it's, it's crazy to me to like, still see how silly people, especially guys are about like romance as a genre, like not to go on like a whole tangent and like rant about like <laughs> the evil men. Um, but like my, uh, my husband was just meeting up with a, a friend who lives in LA. Like we just moved to LA. And so we're reconnecting with old friends, um, at least before this variant like destroyed <laughs> any sense of normalcy again. Um, and this friend was like, said to Josh, like, you know, word on the street is that Sarah's books have a lot of sex in them. And like, I, like, I was like, was his tone yeah, like, they do. he's into it yeah. <laughs> or like dismissive. And Josh was like, I don't know. But like, it was like this thing like that, like he was somehow seeing me differently. Like this friend was seeing me differently for having books, you know, with sex and like, well, good. Like I, I want to read books. Yeah. With sex in them. <laughs> You're like word on the street is that many people's lives have a lot of sex in them. I'm not sure if you've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the hardest thing about writing and like, you know, maybe you guys agree. Like the hardest thing about like writing books with sex in them is having family members read mm. those books. Like, my dad read yeah. like I don't know if he still reads my current ones because they've just gotten so unbelievably like graphically detailed. Uh, that, like, <laughs> I don't think there's much for him to read. Jen and I were saying like, oh, there are some concrete nouns in this one that oh yeah, you, know, you can mm-hmm. immediately find the sex bits if you need. To oh yeah, oh yes. <laughs> and it's just like I can ha- I can handle like I, I you know I can handle like strangers or friends reading, but like when it's my family members, like my 90 year old grandma, like I will never forget when, um, a court of mist and fury, the second book in the Akatar series was coming out. Um, my grandma was like, Oh, I'm so excited to read it. And I was like, well, grandma, like there is a lot of sex in this one. And like, 
like A Court of Mist and Fury was like the first book where I had like pretty like graphic, like on page sex. And my grandma was like basically like, well, if there's lots of sex in it, it sounds right up my alley. Oh, and grandma. <laughs> yes. I, was like, I was like, one, like, yay, empowered sexual like grandma, but like also like oh, oh, grandma. grandma. <laughs> oh, grandma, no. So, oh, that's amazing. Oh, we yeah. love your grandma. She can come on the show anytime. So <laughs> I'm sure she have a lot to say. She's 90 years old. She's lived a very full, adventurous life. Lots of travel around the world. I don't want to even go down that like mental path of what she's done all over the world. So wait, can I can we talk about that actually? Because I I think the first time I ever, as a not, I don't read very much fantasy at all. And I started out, I you know have a lot of friends who write YA. And I think the first time I ever heard your name, it was like, you should read Sarah J. Moss because her books are really sexy. And at the time I was like, yeah, but they're YA. So like, how's, like <laughs> yeah. hi, I'm me. And this, these are YA, like, how sexy are we talking? And, you know, people were like, oh no, like, She's the one who do, who's like allowed quote to do it right, <laughs> and this was long enough ago. Not again. We're all very young here, but this was long enough ago that it, it was very rare, right? You would, you know, I when I my first book is a YA novel, and I published with Scholastic, which is a whole different kind of thing. Yeah, you know, but they were like, no, it was like you know. I love Lucy. Like they had to be in separate. They couldn't. Well, there was a bedroom <laughs> scene, but like hit one of them had to have their feet on the floor, right? So, like, <laughs> the, so I have this question because, like, did you feel like at any moment did you have was there a conversation where there was a discussion of, well, like kids, teenagers, like the genre? How do you fit sex into it? I do feel like you sort of p- blazed a trail there that. Um, was useful for a lot of other writers. Well, that makes me feel a lot cooler than I am in my (laughs) day-to-day life. (laughs) Um, Well, so the first, so the first series that I had come out was my Throne of Glass series. And the first two books in that series were like fairly like I guess, like, YA tame. Like, you know, there was some kissing in the first one, and then there was sex in the second one, but it was fade to black. Um, and it was interesting, like, this is kind of a slight side note, but I remember, um, when I was writing Crown of Midnight, the second book in the Throne of Glass series, um, the original sex scene, like, it was a fade to black sex scene, um, but then there was, like, an after scene where, um, Selena slash Aelin was like discussing like, you know, how she felt with her partner, like after having sex for the first time. And I got a lot of pushback from that. Like, you know, my publisher these days, like I'm working with a whole different team, like at my publisher, it's like different whole crowd, but like there, there was a line where she initially said like, you know, I'm like sore, but I'm, I'm good. Um, which like after my first time was like, kind of like how I felt and like, that we got pushback from that just saying like, no, like you can't like say that basically like, you know, you can't talk about being sore. And like, so I had to change the line. Like it was like a whole thing where I was like, but this is accurate. Like this is, I mean, some women aren't sore. Like great. Good for you. It's amazing. But like, you know, I, I, that was not my experience. And like, it was a happy, like my first time was a really happy, wonderful experience. But yeah, like afterwards I was like, Ooh, like (laughs) I feel a little, tender down there. And 
So like we went, like it was a battle that I, in hindsight, wish I had like just really like fought a little harder for, but you know, there was my second book out there in the world. So I just was like, I was like, okay. So we, yeah. Yeah. So like, you're like, okay, I'm going to trust you guys. Like if you're telling me that like retailers won't pick it up because of this one line, like Mm -hmm. fine. Um, Right. You'll never get into clubs and fairs. Exactly. Like, like, you know, it was, and why, and children's publishing is a huge, is everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, this was like almost, this was like 10 years ago. Like it was, it was a while ago. But so I changed the line from like, you know, I'm tired, but happy, like a tired Mm -hmm. instead of sore was acceptable. And like, I'm like, okay, like tired, like maybe they were up all night banging or something like, which (laughs) like, all right, whatever. Um, but like that, so like, that was kind of my first encounter, like with, Mm-hmm. like having sex like in YA and um I was kind of like this is bullshit <laughs> because like <laughs> right. the books that I read when I was a teenager you know like I like YA wasn't like as much of a thing like it existed but it wasn't like the thing right. it is now um so like I read adult fantasy that had like lots of sex in it and that was my introduction as a young woman to to sex and not just like sex but like positive relationships and like that like I could like demand like pleasure from sex. And like, that was so important to me. And that was something that I wanted to have reflected in my writing, not in like a, like, this is my soapbox. I would just, cause like, I found that to be like the most exciting way to write about sex. Um, so back then I did not have a child yet. So I had plenty of time to work on multiple books at once. And one of the series that I had uh, that I wanted to get out there was my Court of Thorns and Roses series. So um, Throne of Glass, I think, had two books or three books out by the time the first uh, Akatar book released. And we had a whole debate um, about Akatar and like where it would be shelved because I said like, when I sold it to my publisher, I do not want to have to sacrifice the sex scenes in this. Like this is like I didn't write it as YA. I wrote it as like new adult, like when new adult was like mm-hmm. right. kind of a thing right. going to be a thing. Yeah. Um, but there by was the time a heartbeat. I... Yeah, we should explain yeah. that. So there was a heartbeat in kind of the late aughts, early like tens, where um, there was a genre called new adult, and that was contemporary romance with younger here, younger right. like characters. they were, they were co- in college like, age. Yeah, college age. Like, kind of like, you know, I mean, the name says it all, right? Like, these are people just starting their lives. And there's, like, a time when a lot of people are having, like, their first relationships. So, you know, and these are, you know, 20, 22, 24-year-olds. So, yeah, and that was kind of like, you know, Feyre fell within that kind of, like, age bracket. So I was like, oh, this will be new adult fantasy. Um, And by the time, you know, Akatar was getting ready to come out into the world, new adult kind of, like, not manifested and right. um there were a lot of discussions about okay where do we shelve this series like do we mm-hmm. push it into the adult market um or like you know do we have it in YA um and i mean this is very you know, technical boring publishing stuff but they kind of figured like you know my throne of glass series was just kind of like taking off in YA like let's keep like the shelf visibility there and launch it there and i said okay like that's fine like you know if you guys are on board with me like writing about like sex and like, you know, like women being like empowered in their sexuality and like on screen, like on or on page sex, like, right. Okay, fine. Like, let's, let's do it. Like, you know, I know we're going to like, you know, have a lot of people be like, what the fuck? Like, you can't write about that. But, um, but yeah, so like, it was kind of like my publisher's decision to shelve it in YA. Um, 
I mean, the first Akatar book was like kind of like like there was yeah, sex, like, but like not like that bad, like all things considered. But then Mist and Fury, not that good, you mean? Not that good, not that good. Yes, not as detailed, not as many like <laughs> nouns and sure. adjectives. Uh, but yeah, then Mist and Fury came out uh, a year after that, and that was like the I kind think of, that's like, when people were like, yeah. "Oh, you gotta read Sarah J. Moss." Like, yeah. You're gonna, it's Sarah. If you're the, Sarah, they were like, Sarah McLean, if you're ever gonna go fantasy, this is where you're this gonna, is this it, is right. it. Like, this is your <laughs> shot. <laughs> well, and, and like, so. after that, I just was like, like, that was like, that book still holds like a very special place in my heart. And, um, at that point, I was working with a, a different editor who said to me, like, you know, I want all of this here, like, Yay. on the page. Like, this is an important part God, of it's Sarah's so journey. It, and it really like, changes everything, right? I mean, yeah, and I mean, she an and she's supportive of it. Yeah, and she said, like, you know, I'll go to the mat for you, and like, you know, and she saw, like, I, she 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 understood the importance of that sex in, in the book. Um, and then it was interesting. So, like, Akatar kind of just like went to like straight on like you know, sexy time stuff. But then my Throne of Glass series um, that kind of evolved to have like some fairly graphic sex stuff, like later on in the books. Um, which like, I was very happy to be able to write, but it was kind of like, you know, this was YA, like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like yeah. kind of like a, like an evolution of like, you know, going from kind of a clean, you know, clean, I don't like the word like clean, like when yeah. talking about sex, yeah. but you know, like relatively tame stuff to like, you know, characters having like actual, like fully fledged sexual relationships. But, um, I don't know. Like, it's like what I love to like read and like write about. And like, I don't care if people yeah. are like, she's a pervert, but like, that's like what makes, like, I think it's just, I well, don't know. You know, I mean, I think the thing that's so tricky is as it turns out, I don't know if people are aware I, it's a secret I hold, but teenagers do have sex. Everybody. <laughs> I, so no, <laughs> I don't, I mean, shh. But it's adults who struggle with that knowledge, right? And so this is something where, I mean, I I think it's important for, like, readers of YA to get a full range of, like, whatever those experiences are. Yeah. Because there, I was that kind of teenager. I wanted to read it. It was, to me, like, uh, such a safe place to experience. Yes. This, I didn't have to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Right? I'm just going to pause here and say, um, I want to just point to, there's currently a lawmaker in Oklahoma who has just introduced a law that would charge librarians, 10 public school librarians, $10,000 a day for every day a book with sexual content that has been protested by a parent stays on the shelf. So. <laughs> This is one of those situations where, like, support I hope they're going to take out the Bible. Right? I mean, yeah. right? Like, they're like, <laughs> support public school librarians. We'll put links in show yeah. notes to everything so that oh, you that. can, you know, tell people that this is ridiculous. And also call your lawmakers in Oklahoma if you live there. That's just, like, unfucking believable Like, I'm sorry. Like, that is just... Yeah, no. No, but I think, like, you're absolutely right, though, because I, I read, all, like, tons of books with sex in them when I was a teenager. And I think because it was a safe place, like I did not go like on a single date in high school. Like I didn't start really getting like sexually active until I was in college. And it's because I wasn't ready. And like, I feel like, you know, right. you know, like you, like, you know, maybe some kids don't, but like, I knew what I was 
ready for what I wasn't ready for. And like, you know, learning about this stuff and like reading it in books, like, you know, that was a safe place for me to do it. And, and like yeah, practice, right? learning about it through a series through with a character who you love and are following on her journey is a huge pe- for, I mean, we've talked about this right. before on the podcast, but for many, many of us, like, this is how we came to understand sex as something that could be pleasurable, something that you yep. could do with somebody who cared right. about you, something that allowed for, like, your decision, right? and care, yeah. like, your choice, etc. And so I think with Akatar, what, I'm curious, because you're actually here to talk about second stories in, in yeah. series. Yeah. Yes. Um, what, whatever. We can talk about, I mean, we can talk to you all yeah. day, Sarah. Um, but I think you brought up this kind of, you know, the second book in that series is where you're not, yeah. you're not here to talk about sex on page, but it's where we start to see her really like, con- like become all the things that she could be. And so mm-hmm. maybe this is where we can sort of start talking about this like second, second book phenomenon. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Sarah Wetmore, author of Brushstrokes, which is out this week. Brushstrokes is a story of Emily, a professional painter who is unhappy in her marriage, but then finds out her husband's been cheating on her. No, dead. <laughs> he, look, <laughs> we're ruthless here at Faded Mates. It doesn't matter because Emily... In an effort to, like, get her life together, takes on a roommate to help pay the mortgage. Roommate has a handsome Scottish landscaper friend named Robin. Yeah, best roommate. I mean, discount. Discounted rent for the hot Scott. Hot Scott. (laughs) No, but listen, so I'm for this because when you are um, post-divorce, you should absolutely smash the Scottish landscaper. Uh, Without a doubt. Uh, This is a story about a woman going through lots of life events, not just the divorce, the new friends, the smashing smashing of the landscaper. (laughs) Some things are going up with her mother, and Emily is really torn between how to manage her feelings and also getting what she wants in life. Breaststrokes is out this week. You can find out more about Breaststrokes, as always, in show notes. Um, or if you're using a smart podcasting app, you can click on the chapter title right now and it'll take you uh, to a link where you can buy the book. Otherwise, learn more about Sarah at sarahwetmore.com and on Instagram at writing Sarah, S-A-R-A. Thanks so much to Sarah Wetmore for sponsoring the show. To me, like the primordial second story is the Empire Strikes Back. And this is how I pitched this idea. Let's have the Empire Strikes Back episode. And listen, you know the reason I love the Empire Strikes Back, everybody? Because it's where Han Solo and Princess Leia kiss. Yes. Right? Like, hello? (laughs) Yes. And as a child, I was like, what is this? Right? So, (laughs) you know, this idea of like the second, and so, but it's also what I think is interesting, and I'm not a writer, so I'm going to let you two take it away, is... I was actually telling Sarah before I, like, made a list of some of my favorite romances in a series where I love the second book best. And it was quickly, like, 20 book, twenty series long where I, like, love the second book. So how do you as—and and we were talking about, like, there's a difference where if, if it's a trilogy or four books versus, you know, IAD that's 20 books, like, that second book is different. So I think this is, like, really interesting to hear writers talk about, like, why the second book matters and— and in, and also to give you a chance to talk about House of Sky and Breath. 
<laughs> well, it's funny because House of Sky and Breath is also like a sexual escalation book. Where yes, like, it know, is. And, and that wasn't like a sex really deal. Ca- <laughs> <laughs> I love Sarah. I don't know if you know this, but I love a sex deal. It's like my favorite thing in, in romance. So I, you had me from the jump here. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> or wait, would we say the drop? The drop. <laughs> you had me from the drop. Uh, well, I mean, I knew, I kind of knew going into writing like the Crescent City series that I wanted Bryce and Hunt to like not hook up in the first book, like at all, like I would like, you know, have sex in the first book, um, just because they were two kind of like broken people at that point. And like, I think to get to that emotional level, like of like being able to trust each other and love each other enough to have sex, like that would take me like you know, a book and a half to get to. Um, but I also love like the foreplay stuff, like, you know, the banter, the like physical long, oh, yeah. like the like, Oh, his knee touched mine. Like, you know, like, it's like, <laughs> you know, like I love all, I love the buildup. Um, Cause then like, you know, after they have sex for the first time, you're like, okay, like how do I keep like one upping this? Like, you know, we got to find right. some new positions, some new locations. <laughs> like how do we, how do we keep building on this one? The Um, the challenge is real. (laughs) It is. It is. So like one of my editor's comments for uh, Sky and Breath was actually like, can we like come up with some new locations for sex scenes that aren't like them on the couch? Like just looking (laughs) they just were like on the couch so much. Like, you know, clawing at each other. Yeah. Where else are they going to do it? Exactly. I was there in an apartment. Like there's like the bed, the couch, and like, I guess we can do like- the shower, kitchen counter, like... But well, there like, was the table, but Ethan broke it jumping yeah. on it with the sword. <laughs> and not that kind of sword. What a so, <laughs> I'm, Oh, poor That's Ethan. a small... Listen, that's a very small spoiler, everybody. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this will not air. This will air after the book is out. I didn't spoil anything. It's Yeah, fine. we should poor, say poor. we are going to try very hard not to do any spoilers. So yes. this will be safe for everybody to listen to. But if you are, like, really, really, really excited, which many, many, many of you are... Maybe read the book before we do this, before you listen yes. to this. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of like <laughs> Ethan's, uh, I don't know if you guys have watched Arrested Development, but like, you know, his George Michael, like with mm-hmm. the lightsaber in the garage. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so with this book, I just kind of, I, I wanted, like, I needed a reason to keep them like away from each other initially. Cause like by the time book one ends, like they have started to heal and then, um, you know, as much as I wanted them to like jump each other's bones, I was like, you know what, who are they like as characters? Like, you know, like how, like they've just gone through this incredibly traumatic thing. Like Hunt has just come out of like centuries of slavery. You know, Bryce is starting to like heal and come out of this dark place. And, you know, they both respect each other as adults and like respect their relationship enough to want to like delay the physical joining of that and get to know each other. Like, and also like have that kind of like relentless, like, like tension sexual tension between them um but yeah so with like this book it kind of just was the the waiting until book two for the sex was more like what feels genuine to these characters and like what's like the best way to tell their journey and how does the sex factor into that um and with akatar like i knew early on like you know reese was end game um and I mean, I don't think I had like planned the three day like sex marathon like really in my head that much before, like until I was like in the cabin with Reese and Feyre, and I was like, oh yes, like they are not leaving this place for a long time because <laughs> they have a lot of things <laughs> to get out. Um, but I just felt like completely like 
natural to the characters. And I think that's how I like approach like a lot of this, like, you know, is this a natural progression? Like, does this feel right in the moment for both of these characters? Or, you know, if it doesn't feel right for one of these characters, like what are the repercussions of that? Like, you know, like how do you, like, you know, um, and yeah, with like, like sequels, like, I mean, you mentioned like empire strikes back. Like that is like my favorite of the star Wars yeah. movies in part because of like Han and, and Leia, but also just cause I love like, I love it. Like when like the good guys lose and they got to get their shit together. Like the end yeah. of like infinity war, like, you know, right. half the world or universe is gone. And like, what do you do after that? Um, but it is, there are difference, you know, like writing, you know, three book series versus a longer series. Like, you know, how do you keep my throne of glass series was like eight books long. And like, so we had a couple of like empire strikes back <laughs> books. Moments, um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I feel like the first book is usually like your, your introduction to the world and to the characters. And like, you know, you, you're trying to cover as much ground as possible. Um, and it also, I don't know if you feel this way, but it also feels like the first book in any series to me is also about me learning. Like, I don't yes. know who these, I don't know what I'm doing in the exactly. first book. I mean, I never know what I'm doing, but I, you know, it is a, a very real sense of like, we are all learning together. Readers. Yes, we're all learning together. Like, yeah. you know, let's just, and like, I think with the first book, you just kind of get glimpse and glimpses and pieces of the, the world, the characters, um, you kind of place your you know, players on the board. Um, and then book two, for me, at least, has always been this opportunity to just kind of like letter rip, like, you know, you, right. like you really can like dive into the characters. You can like, you know, expand the world. Um, and I actually, the book, the, the book I usually struggle with is book three, like, you know, like how to like condense all of like, you know, how do you make all of that come together in a satisfying way? And, um, like, like, how do you draw on the things that you introduced in book one and book two and wrap them all together rather than, like, constantly introducing, like, new crap the last minute? Yeah, um, well, I think sometimes, like, the books, the book, the thing sometimes seems really hard as a reader is when book three is going to be, like, defeating the big bad and then book two is just, like, what I describe, it's like the MacGyver moment. Like, everyone's just, like, building shit and yeah. getting ready. <laughs> it's and, fun and you know games. I mean? Right, it's, right, it's that fun and games, but you know that it, but there's a point where fun and games can feel like filler, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like that, that problem is like, well, how do I keep these characters, like their growth and development isn't just about defeating this person. But, you know, as a reader, there have definitely been books where I was like, this is a filler book. Yeah. Oh my this God. Like write. I, like I have this stupid rule that like I probably shouldn't even like say in public but like if I pick up a series and like I see that book two is like shorter than book one I'm like no mm. like I, you know what like this is gonna be a filler book That's like so interesting. yeah and like you know I would be happy to be proved wrong like I'm sure there are books out there that have like amazing shorter book two like you know like like, like I'm yeah. sure that exists but like I read enough series where like you know the book two was like sh- like not satisfying right. and also shorter than book one where I was like this like book two is your chance to like, and like, I don't know how much of that is like publisher driven where they're like, you know, needs to be a certain length. Like they're all these kind of like right. nonsensical rules about that. kind. Of, like they make sense because of like retailers and space and all that. But um, you know, like how, and like, but I also sometimes wonder like if um, you know, sometimes writers write the first book and then like, don't think 
further down the road about, okay, what's coming. And then they get to book two and they're like, what do we do? Like, how do we set up for this big ending that I have in mind? That's the feel often is like, is book two important enough that it needs to be there? Right. Right? And that's certainly, we can all think of trilogies where the second book, like, Yeah, you're kind of like, ah, this is like a bridge to the, the third book. And, um, right. you know, it's fine. It can be, they can be enjoyable and like fun, but like, you know, you're still like, okay, like, was there any major development? And that's like, I feel like I always try and hold off like on like the good stuff, like the real, like, you know, the sex like stuff or like <laughs> the big plot stuff, like until later on, um, like book two, book three, like I, like, again, like I'm not a very strategic writer like I don't sit down and I'm like here is how I like organize my books but like just on an ex- instinctive like storytelling level like as a, a fangirl like I'm like yeah. okay like what's cool in book one and then like what's cooler in book two and like what can we build towards yeah. um and I think that's because I like you know grew up watching like Star Wars Lord of the Rings like you know like Fellowship of the Ring was like epic great but then you have like two towers with like helms deep and you're like holy shit, this battle's awesome. And then you have, like, Return of the King with, like, the Battle of Pelennor Fields. You're like, oh, my God, like, Helm's Deep, they had, like, 10,000 orcs, and this is 100,000. And it's, like, right. you know, like, like increasing those stakes is so vital. And I feel like with a, a series, it's kind of the same. you got to, like, constantly keep thinking, like, bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but then also, like, you know, doubling down on your characters. Um, like, you know, while, like, at least in writing fantasy, like, you know, the scope of the world's getting bigger, but then you're diving deeper into, like, who these characters are, what their relationships to each other are. Um, and I, that's, I think that's why I love writing, like, the sequels, is because it's my chance to really dive into, like, who are these characters? Like, what are the weird, funny things that, like, you know, Bryce and Hunt are into? And, like, you know, like, we get, like, a taste of that in, like, you know, the first Crescent City book with, like, Bryce's my little ponies and stuff, which is like <laughs> totally right. based on my own obsession with my little ponies. Um, I actually, uh, Bryce's obsession with my little ponies only happened because I discovered like my own favorite, my little pony in a box, like while I was working on Crescent. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, she's right here. Um, I mean, it? you guys can't see this. Well, so I had, I, I, first of all, I gave her like a haircut. I wish oh. you guys could see this visual oh, of her. Beautiful. Um, I love and her. I was like, but I was like, she doesn't look like a normal My Little Pony because like she's got these long legs, and, like a slender neck. Yeah. And so I was like, who the fuck is this? I was like, is this a special <laughs> she pony? She off-brand. And no, no, so I looked it up and she was from like this, like very small, like release of like a certain type of pony that I'm blanking on right now. Um, but like, it's not like the starlight fancy dolls or whatever, like Bryce calls them, but it was like something like she was a my little pony, but like she, I clearly like some relative, like probably saw her like discounted in a store and gave her to me. Um, she's perfect. She's perfect. Her unicorn horn is broken. Like I shaved part of her head, but she's <laughs> still beautiful. Um, she's green and has purple hearts. Um, but yeah, so Sarah, like, yeah. will you share a photograph of her for, with us and we'll put it in. <laughs> You don't have to. You don't have to. No, I will. I will. I will. I I, I have like lots of crystals on my desk uh, because I'm just that kind of person. So I will pose her in her natural state. Yeah. Yes. Her mystical, magical. Exactly. Um, Yeah. But like, you know, like just getting to explore little like things about the characters like that um, and like getting to meet other new characters that are kind of like secondary 
in like the first book, like Therian, um, like the sexy merman, you know, he was like in book one, but like, you know, not like a major character, but this, he gets his own like point of view. And like, I love that book two can offer that. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never written a series like like yours where, you know, it's the same couple all the way through. My my series always have a, a, a different couple in every book. But I do think second books, I think you hit on the thing that I think is most powerful about the second book, which is often second books are the books where they are are quieter in that not not necessarily obviously there are you are still swinging for the fences to make the world bigger and the action sort of more exciting and to top the book before but the emotions of the second book often are about characters like let's put two characters together and see how they or in my case two characters together and see how they grow and see how they change um because you have more space for that as mm-hmm. you have you have more runway for all that internal character work than you did in book one when you were setting up the world and in book three where you're trying to like tie it all up and like make it feel like you've done a thing straight. Do you do you usually just like you know as a fangirl, I want to know this. Like, do you know like when you start <laughs> a new series, like do you know like book one will be about these two characters, book two will be about like this other set? Like, do you plan it all out or do you just kind of like wait and see like what characters call to you? Mostly it's planned. The characters themselves are planned out in the sense that, you know, when I start a series, I know who the couples are, like who the main characters of the series are going to be. And so, for example, um, you know, my last series, which was Bare Knuckle Bastards, there were three logical heroes and then a logical heroine. And so, like, I sort of, I knew that. And then I always know that, like, big set piece ending of the third book. Because all of my series have, like, a set piece ending of the third the third book. But other than that, I don't know what oh, I'm the doing. last book. Yeah, or the final book of the series, yes. Cause the casino series is four and Hell's Bells is two. All my second books are quieter. Not quieter meaning I mean they all have like big set piece things happening and like, you know, somebody's getting punched in the right. face and like <laughs> You know, <laughs> casinos are getting burned <laughs> down <laughs> and like docks are being exploded. But like the books themselves are really about character in a way that the first and second are the first and third are more about like let's tell us a big world story. Yeah, because I think, I think in the first book you do have like a burden of like kind of setting up yeah. the world, like whether Which it's fantasy readers, or like, like yeah, like historical. And readers often don't gravitate to first books the way that they gravitate to the later books in the series because they're all oh, I yeah. think I think part of that is like there's just so much like they're they're yeah. taking in a world yep there are books where I've read it when it was just book one and then I go you know then two and three or two and three and four come out and I go back and reread the first one and I like book one better right cause because you see, then I can see it all right yeah. I mean like like Wicked and the Wallflower, I loved so much more after like going back to it after Daring and the Duke. And so I, I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, the patient, you know, you have to really like rely on the patience mm-hmm. of the reader at that point to to stick with you and be like, okay, these unfinished things in book one are going to, I promise, right? like reveal them. <laughs> Which must be, I mean, Sarah, your for readers, you, yeah, your readers are. I mean, their the level of patience and excitement and joy <laughs> that they have is remarkable. It's incredible just to like see people like connect with the series and like wait to like see the payoff for like you know like they know. I think they know at this point like with my the type of writing that I do that like you know with book one like I'm planting stuff in there like little secrets and things that will then come like 
play in like later and like book two, like you really see a lot of that, like for Crescent City, like you see a lot of those secrets play out, uh, you know, by the end, there are a lot of reveals. And then especially at the end, there's like the big, big reveal. Um, and like, the, like I, I get such like joy out of like writing that's like, you know, writing book one and being like, he, 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 I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> little do you know, <laughs> these little details that you guys probably think I'm just being like, you know, wordy about descriptions and things but yeah. right there is like that huge like you know tell yeah. that like later on when you reread book one you'll be like oh you sneaky bitch but like, <laughs> you put that there I mean that's the that really is the joy because I yeah. I wrote a series set in a casino and um you know there's a giant reveal for the fourth book yes. in that series and like yes. the moment where I was like well if this works everyone's gonna go back to the beginning and read the yeah. whole series again, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I, so I, I, like, when I read that series, like, and, like, I don't want to spoil the, like, I don't want to spoil the surprise for anyone reading this wasn't discovered your amazing books yet, but, like, I definitely, like, went back and, like, reread, and I was like, oh, like, I'm so That dumb. sneaky like, bitch. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Somebody did it to me, the thing I do to them. I mean, there is a certain level of, like, yeah, like, you know, snidely whiplashing your way through writing that last book where you're like, yeah. they're going to get it. <laughs> Finally, they're going to see the plan was always there. <laughs> I think that, um, like, so can we talk about your, the, I don't know the names of, the, I'm like, I, Sarah, how long have we been friends? I don't know the name of the series, you know, that comes after it with the sisters, the soiled, the soiled S's, right? Duchess. Yeah, Scandal and Scoundrel. It's Scandal and Scoundrel. The Rogue Not Taken. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's really interesting to me about that series, though, is that book number two is not about one of the sisters. No, and sometimes I regret that. Yeah. Fun really? Fun. Oh, look, here we are. It's Confessions with Sarah's. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah's. Well, it feels out of place, right? I But I love that book. It's one of my favorites of your books. But it also, like, I, I was like, I'm going to get Sarah to talk about this because it is... It feels like you really made an unusual choice, right? You're like, oh, let me introduce five sisters. Okay, let me now write a book about one of the other ones, like a not of one of these sisters. Well, right? but she becomes like sister of the heart, right? So right. Well, of course. I wanted to write, that was a whole separate thing. That was a like, I wanted to write a lonely heroine. No. Like I wanted to write a heroine who like didn't have friends and didn't like, had never had friends, had never known what it was like to have a community because we've talked so much about, you know, romance and fantasy too. I mean, uh, the these are genres that are about community. They're they're about community building. Yeah. And often for me, because I have such, I think because like personally in my real life, I have like a very rich community of friends. I write characters who have friends, mm-hmm. and I wanted to write a character who didn't have a friend and give her like a love story, both with a hero and with like a community of women who would become ride or die for her. And so that's why like she she's like swept into this like chaotic world of the sisters in that second book. But that's a good example of a book that I think is like quieter than the other two Mm -hmm. because the heroine is like really figuring character shit out. So was that just like that story called to you and you were like, I'm going with this one. Like, even if it's not like what was kind of in my head at the start for the series, like I love, I feel like, like, even though you say you might like regret that, like, you went with the story that was in your heart and yeah. like in your head and like what called to you. And I feel like that, like there's a power in that, that like, you know, translates onto yeah. the page of like, you know, the right story at the right time. And like, you had something to say clearly that 
needed to work its way out of you. Well, and you know what this feels like too, Sarah. There comes a point when you're lucky enough in your career that you can say to your editor, like, this is the book I'm going to write because this is the book I want to write. And you kind of say like, it might not be the book that everybody loves, but it's the book I want to write. And I Mm -hmm. was very lucky that my editor was like, yes, you can write that book and we will love it and publish it. And Well, and from the reader point of view, her loneliness is highlighted by the fact that it's in a series where we have these five sisters who are so, right? Like, it had to be there, right? Mm-hmm. You like, to highlight her loneliness, you have to show, okay, but this is what other people have. Mm-hmm. So, like, it makes sense to me that it's there. But, yeah, it's always been, I, in all of our years of podcasting, I never asked you about it. Well, I, that's one of my yeah. favorites of your books. But let's so. talk to Sarah J. Moss, who is okay, a superstar. Fine, yes. <laughs> <laughs> This week's episode of Fate of Mates is sponsored by Mila Finelli, the author of The Kings of Italy duet, which begins with book one, Mafia Mistress, featuring Fausto and Francesca. And Francesca is stolen away and held prisoner in Italy, a bride for a mafia king's only heir. Until that mafia king decides maybe he wants her for himself. Yeah, he does. This amazing mafia <laughs> romance has um, the age gap trope, Bob, obviously mafia, so it's dark romance. Um, it has kidnapping, and it is super duper hot. We have talked about this one on the podcast before, so you know we love it. Yeah, this book is um, available in ebook and on KU. If you would like more information about Mafia Mistress, you can click, if you have a smart, a smart podcasting link, right on the book title as you look down at your screen right now. You can also go to Mila's website site at milafinelli.com. The book is Mafia Mistress. It's the first in the Kings of Italy duet, and it is available right now free in KU. Thanks to Mila for sponsoring the show. So Sarah, you talked about Empire State and Strikes Back, but do you think about second, do you have, when you sort of sit down and you think about like, what are the, what are the overarching stories that really like inspire you as a writer? Not necessarily second stories, but just in general, like where do you turn, where, what are those books or, or movies or, you know, shows? Oh man. I mean, like I am such a fangirl of so many things that like, Mm-hmm. I could sit here for another hour and talk about <laughs> like everything that has inspired me. Um, but like one of the things that I guess I have to go like way, way back, like into my early youth <laughs> was um, like Sailor Moon, um, which like I obsessively watched as a kid. Like it was on like Cartoon Network when I was in middle school every day at like four o'clock, I think on Toonami. And like, I would literally run home from school, like backpack bouncing, like to catch it on time and like recorded every episode on like VHS, like including like taping over like my brother's like, you know, home videos. Like I just was like, (laughs) I'm like, I wanted every episode. Um, and this was like before, like the internet was like, uh, like, I mean, like it was there, but like, Mm -hmm. not in the same way. I was like 12, 13. Like I, I, it was, it was not, this was like the early late nineties, like, you know, And it was, um, Sailor Moon was kind of like one of these series that just really struck me and like stayed with me because I mean, like one, it's about like this unlikely heroine who is, I mean, she was like me in middle school, like terrible at math, constantly on like the brink of like, 
you know, failing out, um, like a bit of a whiner, um, which I like still am. Um, <laughs> and, and then she has this like, enor- it's like, you know, Buffy, she has this like enormous responsibility for us upon her. Um, and like over the course of the series, like, you know, she levels up like, you know, again and again, like literally like levels up like into like new costumes and powers. And, um, like as she grows up, like she gains more and more of these abilities. And I think like that kind of like stuck with me as like a thing, like, you know, in Throne of Glass and Akatar and Crescent City, like, you know, like all my heroines, you know, they start in that book one of like, you know, here's an introduction to their powers. And then like, I love that, like leveling up moment. And like Bryce definitely like levels up like in book yeah. two in, in sky and breath. And like, that was like so much fun for me to write. Cause I think I could channel some of that, like sailor moon, like now she's got the moon crystal. Shooting out of her. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like, that was kind of like one of my very early fandoms that like was an ongoing, very long series with twists and turns, but also like to circle back to women, like really strong female friendships that, mm-hmm. you know, developed and, and changed. And, um, you know, there was the core like romance with like Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask that, you know, I was totally all about. But then like the moments that I think really moved me were the ones when like Sailor Moon and like her fellow Sailor Scouts, like, you know, came together as like friends and women and like supported each other, not just like to save the world, but like in their day-to-day lives. And like, that's, I think like a lot of the fandoms that I'm like really into, like are, you know, similar, like a Buffy yeah. Well, I, was, different types I mean, of, like, look, Buffy season two is a classic for a reason. Oh my God. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Buffy season two. Yeah. Like exactly. Um, like to the point where like, you know, I own all the, I have like the Buffy box set from like before, like we had all our streaming fancy right, stuff, right. but like, you know, like I would like almost kind of like skip parts of like season one. Cause I just wanted to get to like season two. Um, and there's like, you know, the leveling up of like powers, responsibility, romance. Um, but then, you know, like, I love like, my next star Wars, which also has its leveling up of Luke, you know, learning more about his powers. Um, and with star Wars, it was kind of like, I loved Leia, but like I would watch star Wars and like, I wanted to be Han Solo. Like I like, that's who I I wanted to like marry him, but also be him. Like I wanted to be that cool. Like, you know, with that swagger. Yeah. 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 All that adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so I think like with like the, like the heroines that I wound up like writing, like especially Aelin and, thrown a glass like you know i wanted a heroine that had that kind of swagger who could like you know walk into an enemy's stronghold and like put her feet up on the desk and you know <laughs> like just like chill and like i love that um and yeah i mean like i again like lord of the rings was another one of my like big fandoms as a kid and i still love it um like i literally founded the lord of the rings fan club at my high school oh, um <laughs> yes it was it was me and like my friend and then like oh. this like poor freshman that we like dragged into the room i think because we needed like a certain number of members for like faculty approval um <laughs> i i was That's a ner- i was a nerd during a time when it was like not cool to be a nerd and i love that like same you know the, the internet now like you know like like book talk right. like you know yeah. like like we're ascended like, now yeah like we like yeah, it's you like find your people right away it's, it's amazing and like i i mean like i when i was in high school like none of like no one in my high school was like into the like stuff i was into like fantasy like sci-fi and so i felt very much like am i the only person in the world that like is into this shit. Um, and I love that. Like Sarah, nowadays, where like, did you grow up? 
I grew up in New York City uh, in oh. in Manhattan, Upper West Side. Um, yeah, so I went to like a very uh, posh private school yeah. for high school that was like not a, uh, I mean, like very academically challenging and great school. But um, yeah, it was two of us and two, two and a half of us in the Lord of the Rings club. <laughs> um, and like my friend that was in the club with me was not like as into it as I was. Like I was like full on like, going to the midnight, like, screenings of the yeah. movies, like, dressed up as Eowyn. Um, yeah, like, I, I was Amazing. kind of, like, the odd duck at my high school. Though I found a group of friends that, you know, we called each other the Goonies. Um, and we made T-shirts. Sure. Like, we were each, like, a different Goonie. I was Mikey. Um, though I think, in hindsight, I'm probably more, like, Chunk. Um <laughs> I think all of us. It was wishful thinking like that I was like as cool as Mikey. Uh, I was totally <laughs> not. Um, but yeah, so like, I mean, the Goonies was another one of my fandoms that like I wish that like had an ongoing mm-hmm. series, but they oh, don't. Yeah. You know what though? I also, so many things have been remade that I also kind of appreciate like the purity of like the Goonies is the Goonies and it's what yes. it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I have like mixed feelings about remakes on the one hand like yeah i love them like i'm like happy to get more of that world but on the other i'm like is this necessary like you know like do we need like you know the movie's perfect the first time around like do we need like an updated version that's like basically the same thing but not as good um and you know it's sometimes they do a good job and sometimes i'm just like well, that was a waste of money and my expectations. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. You know Um, what I've been thinking about related to your books and, um, and I think this, I think this has something, I'm trying to, I think it has something to do with second books too, but um, my example is not a second book. Um, But I think that one of the things that I really love about your books is your ability and I feel like more recently it's been happening with your heroines, your ability to write just like a heroine who is at the end of her rope, like has just, and not, I'm not, I'm talking about, I mean, Nesta was like perfect for me (laughs) because she, and so Nesta is the heroine of um, Sarah's last book, right? Which was a word of silver flames, which is the final book. Is it? No, no, no it's, it's not. Like, no, oh, it's not the final book. Of course, it's not. Yeah, it's um, like the start of like the um, like a new movement. Like, movement. Like, a new like, movement. Yeah, the new the new movement that's right. Yeah, more. Uh, I guess like traditional romance in the sense that each of the books going forward will be a different romantic pairing. Right. Well, maybe against, this is also right, why yes. I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> so, um, no, that's. I mean, but I have I have loved many of your books, but this book, Nesta, starts the book. And she is in such a dark place. Like she is. I I also read this. I read this book like trapped in my house, you know, for, <laughs> you know during during a pandemic. So that you know might have been part of it. But there was a real sense of like this character who just is so. You know, you used the term broken before, but I feel like mm-hmm. there are these characters. You know how to take a character who is like. Uh, especially a heroine who is not fully triumphant yet and really show us like how they have to be mended and, you know, re restructured and rebuilt. And I feel like that 
happens here too in this series. Like you have this character who really needs to go through a journey. And then in this second book, we get to see this like kind of bruised and challenging character find triumph. And that is mm-hmm. my that is the whole point of the second, you know, the, the second, second book. book. Right. The second and if you think about these characters like when you think about three book series, you can also sort of kind of pigeonhole them into the three act structure. And they're sort of yeah. vaguely, if you like squint and turn your head to the side, it's three act <laughs> structure. That sort of middle piece of any book about a character really is about like them giving themselves permission to triumph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like with Nesta, I knew where I wanted her to start with like in Silver Flames before I ever began writing her book. So I kind of spent the earlier Akatar book setting that up. Yeah, um, like ruining but, you know, like her, her poor baby. Destroying <laughs> destroying her. I mean, like, Nesta was kind of, like, a broken person to begin with. Like, she's mm-hmm. someone who never really, you know, found herself or, like, you know, was just the parts of herself. Like, like it, did, it felt like it didn't fit in, like, her environment, like, growing up. And, like, she didn't give herself permission to, like, emerge from that. Um, and... Like when I started writing Silver Flames, like I was in like kind of like a dark place of my own. Like after my my son was born in 2018, like a couple months later, like I started having like panic attacks and like I like had like a complete like like it was like over the course of a year that like I just like my mental health took such a dive. And by like fall of 2019, like these panic attacks that I was having, like weren't going away like they were getting more frequent they were lasting longer and like I was just in such a dark like not great place that I finally started like going to therapy and like getting medicated and like it changed my life and like there was also like a physical component of like going to this like awesome like physical trainer and like who actually did like teach me some of the like sword techniques that Nesta learns and I owe a lot to Nick for uh walking me through. He actually like showed me like I think like the eight pointed star or some version of that that Nesta learns. Um but like I I think I write those stories about like heroines being like broken and like finding their way back to themselves but also this new triumphant version of themselves because that's a journey that I like have been on and feel like I keep returning to like on like my personal life. Um, and like those stories about healing and surviving and learning to love yourself, like, you know, as cheesy as it sounds like that's as important to me as like the romance element of yeah. like, you know, like falling, like, I feel like you can't like fall in love with right. someone you completely love until you, if you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I, one of the things that about Bryce and I don't want to spoil book one in case people are listening that are like, you know, this is a new series. I'll just start. But there's like a sh- a shocking like loss right that yeah. she has to like that happens sort of on page that I literally I mean it was like kind of breathtaking and you know you can't do that in a regular romance right in a mm-hmm. fantasy you can do that and and I found myself really thinking like what does it do to like a character to then have to like face like 
the life I thought I was going to have is different now mm-hmm. because of this thing that's happened mm-hmm. and how sudden that is. And and so to see her, like, and then I also like, and we've talked about this, it's just like it's two years in it, and then it's like two years later, right? And so we get that, like, some healing has happened, some things have happened off page, like, where is she now? And I think it's amazing to, like, sort of see the way time moves in a book, too. Like, you know, it, it would have been so easy to have all that be book one, but instead you're like, no, her journey is going to really pick up later. So the, the, but like that, I was really like, holy shit. Like that just happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes, I mean, like all of us, I think can agree, like life throws curveballs at you. And like, sometimes you have your whole like thing planned out and like more than a curveball. Yeah. I mean, that was like a huge, I mean, that was a, like a bomb being dropped (laughs) into Bryce's life. But like, you know, how do you go on from that? And like, how, like, you know, it's not an easy thing of like, you know, you're someone very close to you dies or something horrible happens. And like, you don't just like, I mean, maybe some people can, but like, you at least in my experience, like you can't just pretend like everything's normal or go, or maybe you can pretend, but like just moving on, like you're different. And like, who is this new person in the aftermath of all of that? And like, what do you do with yourself in the aftermath of all that? Like, how do you rebuild a life? How do you make new relationships? Like, you know, there are so many, Things that, like, you know, I knew from the start when I began writing Crescent City, like, with the initial kernels of inspiration, that, like, what would happen at the very beginning of book one, and that, like, the whole series would be about Bryce's journey to go from, like, this person that she was before that big event to, like, who she is afterwards, and, like, what, like, how she heals, what she chooses to do with her, her life, um, and like, how do like, you know, the new people that come into her life, like, how do you learn to trust and open yourself up to them? Um, and like, how do you find common ground with them? And one of the ways that Bryce and Hunt like bond is they both have lost, you know, people close to them. They've both been through like horrible things and, you know, they can, they find each other like through those things and through like listening to each other and understanding each other. So the thing that's also interesting about book two though, is she also is, I, and I think this is clever, right? Like I was hoping maybe we could talk about this is, so in book two though, then she goes back and she discovers there's all this stuff she didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. So all like, so that's another really interesting way. So instead of like, we're just MacGyvering and building up for like the big bad, it's also a really cool trick in book two when instead it's like, oh, look, there's all this stuff that I I thought I'd put it to bed because I was over it or it was in the past, but the past is never past. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. And I like, I mean, I love like stuff like coming back, like to haunt <laughs> characters and stuff. Like, I mean, like one of the joys of writing this book was having like Ethan, like, you know, for all his like George Michael, like lightsaber <laughs> swinging, like, you know, like, like this guy from her past, yes. like coming back and like, you know, the bringing with him, like, you know, all those memories, but also like new insight into like what things had been like. And um, I mean, like Ethan was a character that I just like, I don't know, side note, <laughs> I really <laughs> like him. Like I, like, I was like, I need to have like a hunky athlete to join the gang. Yes. A himbo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and he's also, I mean, I think the other thing that's great though is, he is also on his journey of dealing with, like, what happened. It was just as much of a bomb in his life. And so yeah. then you get, like, a second character who knows 
like really her and what she's been yeah. through. So it yeah. right and that's something like Hunt doesn't have. So, you know, the the whole thing, it's just really as I was really admiring it as I was reading because I was like this is so fascinating because this is like a really good example of the second book isn't always moving forward. Sometimes right. it's still mining and recursive yeah. about what was in the past. Right. Yeah, and I actually really enjoyed that part of like showing more through Ethan about like what that past had been like and like getting like little tidbits about you know Bryce in college like yeah. doing keg stands at like <laughs> 10 in the morning which like might have been based on some personal experience like some of that like some, some <laughs> yeah, of the college stuff was based on uh <laughs> real Loosely. experiences Loosely. from me and also some from my husband Josh that I will not I will not uh like you know reveal his own college thing that's for him to to share <laughs> with the world one day but yes there's some of his uh, experiences wound up making their way into, <laughs> into these books, which nice. is like weirdly fun for me to to write about. Um, I was one of those like like college students that like I love to go out and have fun, but I also like you know, uh, any Saturday night I was either out at the bars with my friends or I would stay in and be writing like my fantasy novels and like I actually kept my writing like a secret from like my college friends like. Not because I thought they would like shun me, but I just like didn't like tell them like, and then it came out at one point. Were you writing the first, your first book in college? Like, is this, or do you have something under the bed? Yeah. So (laughs) I, um, so I started writing the Thorn of Glass series in like a very early, very terrible, different form when I was in high school. And so I, um, I wrote like roughly the first four books ish. Uh, throughout like high school and college. And it was just like for fun. Like it was just like, you know, the stories I was obsessed with. Um, yeah, just for fun. But like, it was like, so like when I, so when I was in college, I would, you know, sometimes stay home, you know, in my room, dorm room and work on the, mm-hmm. <laughs> work on these books and work on the book. It, yeah. And it, like, it can't, and like, I would tell my friends like, Oh, I've got too much homework. I gotta like, you know, <laughs> do, I gotta do this paper. And then it came out some, at some point during like my senior year, I want to say, where like, I might've like drunkenly like confessed to my friends, like when I don't go out with you guys on Saturday, <laughs> like, sometimes cause I'm, I'm writing right, my, my, my fan, <laughs> my fantasy novel. Um, and they were all like, what? But then like, they instantly were like, can we read it? And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm not letting any of you read what? it. No, um, no, <laughs> never. I'm like, I'd rather, you know, me. That's not what books are many, for. Like, yeah. And I'm like, no, no. I was like, I just know me as the girl who likes her, like, you know, vodka cranberries and like, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Let's leave it at that. But they were all like so supportive and like excited about it. Aww. Um, and it just, it was, it was so sweet, but like, yeah, so I was just like weird hybrid of like shut in writer in college. <laughs> and then like, I guess I just needed to like go like blow off steam and like be a like normal <laughs> college kid at some time. Um, they're like, what is normal these days? I mean, to me, that was normal. Um, but like, you know, if my son goes to college and he's like, I want to stay in and write books, I'll be like, okay, great. Good. Just stay <laughs> in. Idea. Don't do anything bad. Uh, Perfect. No, I, I would tell. I, I think I would tell him, like, you know what, like, dude, like, that's great. But, like, go, like, live your life, like, get into little bit of trouble, not too much trouble that you get kicked out or yeah. ruin anyone else's <laughs> life. But like, just, I don't like, have to bail you out of jail. But like those yeah. kids from Canada on the way to Mexico. Did you guys read about this story this morning? Insane. Okay. No. These, a bunch of French Canadians, like a bunch of kids, new adults, are on a plane. <laughs> Their frontal lobe is still mush. Just yeah. Well, they're going to be stuck in Mexico on a plane to Mexico. They were like crowd surfing and vaping. I mean, it was like literal insanity. And I guess 
the flight attendants just kind of gave up. And then they all landed in Mexico. And now none of them can get home because, of course, they're they're all now on no-fly zones, like no-fly lists. Oh, And I was like, I'm going to tell my son about this later. I'd be like, if you ever. (laughs) I mean, here's my thing. If my child ever behaved in such a manner... No. Mm-hmm. On an airplane no. or with anyone in any other public place. Yeah, no. Like no. send her home. Send her yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yes. Yes. Mama's coming. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be like, yeah. I would like to stay in Mexico. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, Sarah, it was amazing to talk to you and hear all about your books and your writing process. This is so exciting. I had I, so much fun. This was awesome. We Thank had a you great guys time. So much. Come back another time and talk about oh, third please. books. I, I would yes. I would love that. <laughs> it would be it would be a privilege and an honor. <laughs> Well, see, here's the thing. That was such a great conversation, and I loved every second of it. And we did not talk about books at all, aside from ours. I mean, we talked about my books and her books. Sure. But this is, you know, so I think, so we're going to add a little something-something to the end where we talk about second books in romance. And what I told Sarah before we started is I started making a list of, like, which of my books are, like, okay, so which series do I love where I love the second book the best? And then I realized it was so many books that I started actually making a list. So I'm going to, I want to like actually read my list really fast. It's really long though, because I was like, I really love the second book. So Aurora Blazing uh, by Jesse Mihalik, Bloodbound in the Mercy Thompson series, Cinnamon Blade by Shira Glassman, The Dating Playbook by Farrah Roshan, Dreaming of You. Oh! Right? Heaven, Texas, <laughs> the second in the Chicago Stars series. We talked about Her Naughty Holiday by um, Tiffany Rice as the second one in that series. Just Past Two by Elia Winters, my favorite. The second, um, The Lawrence Brown Affair um, by Kat Sebastian is a second. Love Her or Lose Her by Tessa Bailey. I love that book. Lover, Rage, and Mary also known by its real name, Lover Eternal in the Black Dagger Brotherhood. That's my favorite. You'll notice my list is in alphabetical order. Luck of the Draw <laughs> by Kate Claiborne, of course. That That's second on book my list, too. Amazing. Playing a Cool by Amy Andrews. Second book. Oh, Playing with Fire. It is a second book. Playing it Cool. Uh, no, Playing with Fire by Kate Meter, the one about the mayor and the mm, woman is firefighter. That a second book? Is a second See, book. You did such good work. You're so much better at homework than I am. The Prince of Broadway, second book. Managed, a second book. The Master, a second book. Marrying Winterbourne, Reaper's Legacy by Joanna Wilde, um, Rock Hard by Nalini Singh, Scoring Off the Field. A second yeah, book. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Look right? at you. I know. Right? A Scott in the Dark, wow. we talked about already. Thank um, you. A Taste of Pleasure, which is a category romance by Chloe Blake, is a second book, and it's perfect. And White Hot, the second in the Hidden Legacy series, is my favorite. What? So I was like, I love you. a second book. You really do love a second book. I and actually, love a second book. And actually, listing out those books, like, those are all some of my very favorite books by, uh, by those yes. authors. So I I think maybe I love a second book too. And classic. Okay, listen, I can't believe I've never talked about this book on the podcast. A Beautiful Stranger by Christina Lauren is my favorite, probably, of their books. 
And it's the second in the beautiful series. There you go. So, I mean, like, I did not do the, I mean, Jen's kind of like, I did the homework. She, for I mean, you seriously, she a little, no, I did some homework, but I didn't do like, <laughs> here are 40 books homework, but you're just trying to show off with your photo array this year, this week. I think, you know what? It, okay. Yes. Although I hate doing it now because Google changed something, but it was more like, as I started thinking about how much I love second books and like kind of writing them down, yep. the list just kept growing and growing. And I was like, God, I really do love a second book. Mm-hmm. Yes. You do. And here's the, and I mean, I think we sort of touched on it in the podcast, but it's not surprising to me that romance novel readers like second books. I think about the books that people always talk about that I've written, and many of them are the second books in the series, Brazen mm-hmm. and the Beast. Brazen and the Beast. Um, what are other books that I've written? One Good Earl Deserves a Lover is like a massive favorite for everyone. And I think that when you think about it, like I said with with Sarah, there is a sort of real sense that a second book is where you can mine for emotion. And so romance readers like that. Right, right. Well, I think the other thing I was thinking about a lot is it's a little bit different in a romance series where it's a different romantic pairing every book. Right? Like, so we talked a lot about Sarah's books, which mm. are often, right, like in the Carson City together. series, oh, right? It's different. Yep. The same. Although it sounds like in Akatar, there's a different, there's a change. It switches. It, in Akatar, it switches over on the fourth book. Right. And so it's, and it's really interesting because I found myself thinking, okay, like, I think this series, Crescent City, will be four books. And I was kind of like, I wonder if there'll be a switch, right? I mean, so it is really interesting, but I think it's different in romance. Well, I don't know, because I think in romance, there are different conventions, right? Yes. So if you, you know, Hidden Legacy is a good example of like, well, that's one ca- one couple the whole way right. through. Um and so in urban fantasy, like in, you know, Percy Thompson, I yeah, mentioned, right. Exactly. So that's a separate thing. But when you're writing the way, and then for many of us, second books in the series are sort of loosely connected, right? Like right. it's a series about sisters. The second book is, you know, right. whatever sister, or it's a series about friends. The second book is whatever friend. Um, in some, some cases, like I think I, I do this, paranormal romance writers do this, like, there, you know, where there is a kind of a reward to the reader for reading the books in order. Yes. Even though they have different protagonists, um, then I think the second book falls into this second book conversation, this convention. Right. right. Where, like, there is more to, there's more to it, the series, if you read it in order. If, if you read, if it you in read order, the series right. in order and you get more than, like, oh, now I see them married and dancing by. But you actually get, like, an additional right. layer of plot or, like, an additional, like, something levels up in the second book that will ultimately be a payoff in the third or fourth book. Then I do think, like, these all work. Yeah. So I think well, it depends on the kind of writer. Yeah, I think another book I had on my list, and I maybe it's The Undoing by Shelley Laurenston, mm-hmm is an example that I think is, like, really, like, I don't know, it's, like, really drives on that line pretty carefully because it's technically a standalone, but I think you really need to read the first book just because, like, the world of the crows and, like, their sort of lifestyle is so um, intense, and there's, like, a lot of other characters. Shelley Lawrenceton has, like, a million characters. So in in that case, it's kind of, like, 
it wasn't quite like Hidden Legacy where it's like the same people, but like that world really gets set out in the first one. So I really found myself thinking about like kind of why do I love the second book? And maybe it's like, okay, I already know I love this world in the series. Now I can just enjoy it. You know what else it is though? And this is true of all romances that are not the first book in a series, right? Which is, it almost feels like every romance novel is a little bit second book because you already met the characters. Yeah. Right? So, like, right. as romance readers, we're so trained to At say, At least like, one oh, of them. Yeah. I can't wait for so-and-so's book. So-and-so's right? book. I can't right. wait for that. Like, often in historicals, like, it's teed, it's really heavily teed up. Like, the next book yeah. is going to be these people, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know who Imogen is going to end up with. Right. 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 And so, like, the sort of thirst for that as an experience gives you that, like, oh, now I've met that character. I think I'm, I'm like, I have a crush on that character. Right. And then you're delivered their book and it's like, here's your chance to fall in love. And I think here's the thing that the reason why I love a second book, but sometimes the third or fourth book though, and I, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything. It's different for different people, but can be like a disappointment. Like you're so worked up to get that person's book. Listen. And then it's like, how do you listen? This Sorry, is the Sarah. scariest thing for us of course. as writers. Of like, course. Cause you know, too, like when you write the book, you know, oh boy, <laughs> I know who everybody is going to beg for. Right. And and so you know there is just going to be yeah. desperation for that character. And you just hope you can deliver. It's all any of us can do is just hope we can deliver. Yeah. yeah. Write the best book you can and hope someone decides. And here's the other thing, you guys. If you're out there writing and you're writing one of these one of these books, let me tell you something. Even if it's disappointing to somebody, it's also somebody else's favorite book. Of course. That's why it's not even worth saying that the ones that didn't work for me because mm-hmm. it, it is definitely going to be somebody's favorite, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing, though, back to your point is what's interesting to me is in some some books, right, like, okay, with Imogen's book, we know that it's going to be Tommy. I'm already fanficking it on Twitter, I everybody, mean, that's what right? I think, but yeah. Right. Listen, Sarah, <laughs> I come to your house be writing at night. You're like, I guess. Um, but sometimes you just know that the, like, which which character is going to get their book next, but you don't know who the love interest is Yeah, be. so you have a crush on that right? character, and you, you have a cr- want them to be happy. Yes. And I think that those can be, like, really different reading experiences. Well, like, right? You know, not to sort of talk about, I know we've done a lot of talking about Cressley recently, but, like, you know, I think about, like, Lothair. Right. right. Where the whole fucking world was dying like, for who it. could it be? And yeah. then she delivers him this, like, human yeah and we were like what (laughs) (laughs) totally Um, right sometimes like that's a really interesting choice like i i don't know i think i thought this conversation was really great i really loved meeting sarah who um has always been really generous about my books and really um you know kind about my books and um and i was really i was really i was really interested in like her story and like i do think of her as being somebody who 
kind of knocked down some doors related to sex in YA. And so I was yeah. interested to hear that story. And oh, yeah, it was just great. It was great to have her. And um, if you all haven't, if you are interested in fantasy, um, but love a great sex scene, you can't do much better than uh, Sarah J. Moss. Uh, so thank you so much to Sarah for joining us. You can find her at sarahjmoss.com. Links are in show notes. The book is the second book in the Crescent City series. It's called House of Sky and Breath. It is on shelves now, this week, and you can find it wherever you get your books. Jen, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Um, this is Faded Mates, everyone. You can find us at FadedMates.net. You can find us on Twitter at FadedMates, on Instagram at FadedMatesPod. And we love you. We do. We love you. Would you say that our second season is our best season? The books have blooded us. And that was pretty good. That was a pretty good, good season. season. See, it was a lot of character work. <laughs> I tell you. You are right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone.